Malachi, uh, chapter 2, verse 17, as well as chapter 3 and verse 5. You have wearied the Lord with your hands. How have we wearied him, you ask? By saying, all who do evil are, are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. Or where is the God of justice? I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. So I will come to put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and pure perjuries, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive foreigners among you of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's pray briefly. Lord, please speak to us today. Give us receptive hearts. Amen. It's not uncommon for people to have doubts. Doubts about God. Doubts about what we read about God in the Bible. It's not, it's not uncommon for people to ask questions about God. Um, there, there are some people who've started out at a position of unbelief and they've had to work through lots of doubts, lots of questions before they've, they've come to faith in Christ. Um, St. Augustine would be an example of that, C.S. Lewis. There are other people who might come to faith at a very young age. Maybe they're raised in a Christian home, but later in life, they'll have to work through lots of doubts and questions. Um, the great Baptist missionary Adoniram Judson, his life followed that pattern. But it's not, un, not uncommon for people to have to wrestle with doubts, struggle with questions, just to have questions about whether what we read about God is true. Now, um, to the passage we're looking at today that Jeffrey just read for us, we, we encounter some people who were going through that kind of situation. We're, right now we're studying the Old Testament book of Malachi. Malachi was a Hebrew prophet in the fifth century before Christ. He lived in Israel after the people had come back from, from their exile in Babylon. And in, in today's passage, he's addressing some people of his generation 
who were questioning God. These people were asking a question. And so what I'd like to do is just, I wanna touch on three thoughts. First, I'd like us to look at the question that they were asking. So first we'll look at the question. Secondly, I wanna talk about the right way to ask that question. So the question, the right way to ask it, and then thirdly, let's look at the answer that God gives. So we'll start with the question. You see it there at the end of verse 17, chapter 2. The question they ask is, where is the God of justice? If there's a God of justice, where is he? Now, we, tell from, we can tell from the context, the words that precede this, also some words you find later in chapter 3. That, that's a short question, but there's a lot packed into that little question. Basically, um, basically what the, these people are, they are approaching what philosophers have called the theodicy, which is the, the age-old conundrum, the age-old problem of evil, suffering in this world. And the question goes like this. If, if there is a God, all right, and if this God is... The way the Bible describes him, he is good and loving and he is also all-powerful and sovereign. If that kind of God exists, then, then uh, why is there suffering in the world? Why is there evil in the world? I mean, if there, really is, if there really is a God, why are there children starving to death? If there really is a God, why, why are there things like tsunamis, earthquakes? That's their question. Where is the God of justice? If there really is a God, then why doesn't he do something about all the evil and the hurt and the suffering in this world. And they even say it seems to them that all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord. We see evil people prospering, and, and he's pleased with them. So there's, they're really struggling. This is the question that they are asking. And you've probably known people of that. Maybe you've asked that. A lot of people through the ages have asked this question. Some people will ask this question for very deeply personal reasons because of suffering in their own life. I have, I have a friend who was horribly, horribly abused by a family member when he was a little boy. And I remember years ago, the first time I, I shared the gospel with my friend, he just, couldn't, he just couldn't hear what I was saying. Like, I'm talking about God. In fact, he said, listen, where was God when my uncle was doing that to me? I mean, if God exists, why does he let things like that happen to little children? That was his question. Listen, I don't blame him for asking that. Do you? In fact, maybe you've, you've had some suffering in your own life, and you're asking, wait a minute, if, if there's a God, why do I have cancer? If there's a God, why did my father die at such a young age? If, if there's a God, why doesn't he answer our prayers? You see, so, sometimes people will ask this for very, very personal reasons. So, some people will ask it, for more philosophical reasons. They, they themselves maybe are not suffering. Maybe their life is going very well for them, but they, they know enough about the world to realize that it's not that way for everyone. They know that there's poverty and hunger crushing millions of people in this world right now. They, they know that there are hundreds of thousands of refugees that have been driven from their homeland. They, they know that things like natural disasters occur and wipe out the lives of people to, you know, who haven't done anything to deserve that. And so just because of their knowledge, just because they are thinking people, they, they'll, they'll say, wait a minute, if things like this are happening in my world, how can what I read about God in the Bible be true? So a lot of people will ask the same question we read here in Malachi. Um, Where's the God of justice? So that's the question. Now, my second thought, I want to talk about the right way to ask 
that question. Uh, you'll notice in verse 17 that it, Malachi tells them that they have wearied the Lord by asking this. Basically, God says, I am sick and tired of hearing you guys ask this question. I am tired of hearing you ask this. And someone would say, you see, you see, that's why I hate Christianity. That's why I hate religion, because you can't ask any questions. You can't have any doubts. The Bible says just shut up and believe, and I don't like that. Listen, listen, that is not what the Bible says. That is not the case. Listen, do you, do you have any idea how many, many times throughout the entire Bible, men and women of God have asked basically this same question, and God has welcomed their question. God has received their, their he's handled their doubts with, with tenderness. He's, he's helped them with their struggle. Um, Psalm 10, verse 1, why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Psalm 22, my God, why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? Psalm 42, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Psalm 43, Psalm 44, Psalm 74, oh God, why have you rejected us forever? Why does your anger smolder against the sheep of your pasture? Psalm 80, Psalm 80. Just through the Psalms, you get to the end of the Bible, Revelation chapter 6, this picture of the glorified spirits of the saints in heaven. You know what they're asking in heaven? How long, Lord, till we get some justice? Even in heaven, people are asking, even, listen, even Jesus on the cross, what did he ask? My God, my God, why? Why? Why have you forsaken me? So throughout the Bible, people ask this same question. Um, and God isn't bothered by it. God isn't threatened. God doesn't tell them to shut up. He welcomes this questioning. But, but the people here in Malachi are, are rebuked. God says, you are wearying me. I'm tired of this. So I infer from that, they must have been asking this question the wrong way. And if they're asking it the wrong way, perhaps we can learn from them the right way to ask this question. And so here's what I'm going to suggest. If you have a lot of doubts, if you have a lot of questions, maybe it's not this same question, maybe you have other ones, I would suggest this. If you, if you, are, if you are struggling with doubts or questions, ask, ask your question two ways. Ask your question repentantly and ask your question prayerfully. First, repentantly. Um, what we know from the rest of Malachi is that the people here who were asking this question, who were, who were dealing with this, we know that there were areas of their lives that were not pleasing to God. I mean, you saw this in chapter 1. They, they, they were not worshiping God correctly. They were showing disdain for God in the way that they worshiped. Chapter 2, we saw last week, they were being unfaithful to their marriage vows. Later, next week, chapter 3, we'll find, we'll find out that these people were not generous with their resources. They didn't care about the poor. They were not sharing with, with those who were hungry. So the, these were people in different areas of their life. They were actively involved in disobeying God and I think, would you agree with this? I think it's safe to say that the fact that they were disobeying God and the fact that they were doubting God were probably somehow connected. I say this, here's what I find in my life. My head is connected to my heart. You know what I mean? So if, if, if something in my heart 
is not right, and believe me, there have been times like that, if something in my heart is not right, it's going to affect my head, and I'm going to start to doubt the Word. I'm going to start, start to doubt God. I'm just going to start to have, and here's the reason for that. If something, listen, if something in my life, if I know that it's selfish, it's disobedient, it's not, it's not faithful to God, if there's something like that in my life, there will be a certain part of my heart that won't want the Bible to be true. Does that make sense? Because if it's true, I have to change. If it's true, I have to repent. If it's true, I have to submit. And my, my sinful heart doesn't like to submit, right? So um, the, the, the fact that these people are disobeying God somehow leads to their doubts. I, now, I'm going to take a little, little time out here. I want to pause. I want to be clear. Doubt is not always caused by sin. Not always. So if you have a friend who says she's struggling with doubt, don't accuse her of secret sin in her life. You don't, listen, um, people who doubt are not necessarily any worse sinners than the rest of us. But um, if you find people who are actively disobeying the Lord and they are also continually struggling with doubts, there's probably a connection there. One, one author said this. He said, it's a, it's a funny thing about us human beings. Not many of us, doubt God's existence, and then start sinning. Most of us sin and then start doubting, right? So here's what I would suggest. If you're really struggling with doubts, and please, I say this lovingly, all right? If you're really struggling with doubts, I I would ask you just do a very searching moral inventory of your own life and, and, and see, is there any... Might there be any part of you that is in rebellion against God or living very selfishly? So maybe that part of you doesn't want the Bible to be true. Maybe that's why you're doubting. So just, just here's why I suggest that. Because in John chapter 7, guys, Jesus gave us this beautiful, beautiful promise. John 7 verse 17, he said this. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God. He said, you're struggling with doubt. Listen, if, if you just take a step and, and choose to start submitting to God, you will find out whether what I'm teaching is true. So how to, what's the right way to ask our questions? Ask repentantly, and then second, ask prayerfully. Um, one, one commentator, scholar who wrote on Malachi, a guy named Peter Adam, he, he pointed out, a difference between the question that the people in Malachi ask that is met with God's rebuke, the difference between that and all the other many times in Scripture when people ask the same question and God responds positively to it. He said that the difference is that um, in all the other parts of the Bible, the people are asking this question in the context of prayer. They're crying out to God, how long, O Lord? Why, O Lord? My God, my God, why? So they're not just asking the question. They're taking the question to God. The people in Malachi, listen, these people are not lifting a question to God in prayer. They are voicing a complaint to each other, right? To each other, not to God. They're voicing a complaint about God. So instead of praying They're just kind of sitting around the dorm room talking, right? They ought to be going to God with this. Um, 
So I would suggest that if you're struggling with doubts, go straight to the source. You have questions, lift them up to God. You say, I'm not even sure I believe in God. Start lifting them up to the God you don't even believe in. Just begin to cry out to him. Um, I, I shared this once before. I, had, I, had a, I have a, had a friend who years ago was a very, very popular teenager. She was a star athlete in her high school, class clown, life of the party. Everyone loved Jill. What they didn't know is that she was so empty and hopeless that she was thinking about committing suicide. And in the midst of that, one day she just, she didn't grow up in a Christian home. She wasn't really raised in the church, but she just cried out, God, if you are up there, if you exist, prove it to me. And he did. Not through some big outward miracle, but by this gentle inward miracle. God brought people into her life who shared the gospel with her. He opened her heart to understand it and believe. He proved his existence. My point is, though, she didn't just voice a complaint. She lifted a prayer. Remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? He said, ask and you shall receive. Right, Jeffrey? He said, seek and you will find. He said, knock and the door will be open. He said, because everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. Everyone who knocks, the door is open. He's talking there about prayer. So, all right. The question is, if there's a God of justice, where is he? Where is the God of justice? The right way to ask that, ask repentantly. Ask prayerfully. Now, what's the answer that God gives? Um, there's a lot in verse, verse 1 through 5 of chapter 3 is one of, the most, one of the most profound prophecies that you'll find in the Old Testament about God's work through Jesus. And there's not time to unpack all of it here. But let me, um, let me just say this. This is their question. How does God answer? God's answer is to say to them, he says, I am promising you I will send you the Messiah. His answer is to promise to send the Messiah. Let, let me read verse 1 of chapter 3. God says this, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. You know, in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus quoted that very verse. He said, he said you know who it's talking about? John the Baptist, All right? Jesus said it's about John the Baptist. So God says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly, the Lord you're seeking the one you're crying out for, the one you're asking, does he really exist? God says, he will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. Now, the, the ancient Hebrews understood this to be a messianic prophecy. That's why, that's why they, they were asking um, John the Baptist, are you the prophet? Are you the one who was to come? He's the one. They knew somebody would prepare the way. And God would send the promised one the Messiah. So God's answer to them is, you want justice? I will send you one who will bring it. I will send you the promised one. And God warns them, verse 2, who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? You'll think you'll be standing up before him, shouting your accusations? No, you won't. God, God says in verse 5 that through, through Messiah, God says, I'm going to punish sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, those who defraud laborers of their wages, those who oppress widows and the fatherless, those who de deprive immigrants of their justice. God says, I'm going to punish all kinds of sinners, not just one kind, all kinds of sinners. 
And yet here's, here's the real, did you notice this? Here's the strange thing about this prophecy. God says, I'm going to send the king of justice. I'm going to send the Messiah. He's going to deal with the evil in the world. He's going to punish sinners. But in this prophecy, God says, some sinners are not going to be punished. They're going to be purified. He, he says this. I, he, he talks about the Levites, I think, as an example of, of the kind of people who will be purified. He says, verse 2 and 3, he, the Messiah, will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in the days gone by, as in the former years. Now, who are the Levites? The Levites, that was the tribe from which the priests came. Do you remember chapter one? The very first people indicted for their sin in the book of Malachi were the priests. They were the chief ones responsible for the problems in Israel. They were the ones leading everyone else astray. They were the, they were the biggest sinners in the land. And, and God is saying, you know what? When the Messiah comes to punish sinners, some of those who are the biggest sinners in the land are not going to be punished. They'll find themselves rescued. They'll find themselves purified. Isn't this weird? God is saying, you're crying out for justice. You want me to deal with evil? I'm going to send someone who will do that. The Messiah will come. He will deal with evil. He will punish every sinner in the land, except for some. They won't be punished. They'll be purified. Now, you've got to ask, how in the world can this possibly be? And you find out in the New Testament, the answer, the answer is the cross. Because here's, here's what even Malachi may not have understood. Jesus will come back at the end of time. Listen, he will deal with evil. He will come to judge the living and the dead. He will come to pour out judgment on sinners. But long before he does that, he first came and he allowed judgment for sin to be poured out on himself so that any and every sinner who turns to him in faith will not be punished, but will be purified. There's a deep mystery here, but God, listen. Um, First Peter chapter three talks about this. It says, Christ suffered. You have questions about suffering? Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. As I said, there's a lot here, more than we can, we can deal with today, but let me just summarize. When we are asking, where's the God of justice? If there's a God of justice, where is he? How does God respond? He doesn't really give us an answer. He gives us something better. He gives us his son who comes to suffer. To, suffer, to share our suffering, to suffer with us. Listen, if you'll trust him, to suffer for, to suffer for us. He, the, answer, the answer is not, it's not like God says, oh, you have a beautiful philosophical question. Let me lower down from heaven some philosophical treatise. You can read this. You can study it. You'll understand this conundrum. No, God doesn't do that. He says, you want an answer for why there's suffering in this world? I'm not going to explain it, but I will deal with it. 
I'll send my precious son and he will suffer. He will suffer to rescue you. So, if you have doubts, welcome to the club. A lot of people have had them. It's not the end of the world. But ask your questions the right way. Please, ask repentantly with a humble heart. Ask prayerfully. Lift them up to God, right? And as you're asking and as you're waiting, keep your eyes on the Son, on the suffering servant, the one who comes to save. Let's, let's pray together. God, thank you that you don't always rebuke doubters. In fact, that when we come to you with with humble hearts and with honest questions, you respond. And thank you that your deepest response to our, to our confusion and our sin is not an explanation, but a dying Savior. We thank you in his name. Amen.